HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. They're Those so good. Look, they look alcoholic. The cans just resemble an alcoholic drink. I think it's the block top. Dan dumps the Celsius out and just pours White Claw into it. <laughs> I was just, I was thinking. I saw the beer cans in the bathroom, and then I saw that, and I'm like, hey. Yeah. I'm not above it, but this has my <laughs> caffeine for the morning. Well, a little special guest uncensored. Hey-o. In the flesh. Chris Powell, what's Made up, buddy? It. Yeah. It's good Mr. to be down here with you guys. Mr. Houndsman XP in the building. Yep. Pretty cool. It's good to hang out with you guys. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. I've been messing with Squatchbot. Like actually messing with him? Trying I have, to get, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the community's missing out by not <coughs> communicating more with Squatchbot. Are you messing with him? Half of our members mess with him, like tease him and try to trick <laughs> him up. And half of our members are actually trying to get good responses, which... I, I developed my own hashtag. Yeah, he's with, like the messing, leader of messing with, messing with, messing with Sask Or messing with Squatchbot. <laughs> Squatchbot. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. He's the one tormenting Squatch and finding all the weaknesses. We regularly talk about how soft he is. He is soft sometimes. He gets, he gets yeah. real emotional on us. Yeah. Can't handle that. When he gets, starts with. getting soft, it's like, hey, it's okay, Squatchbot. We'll, <laughs> bring you, we'll bring you along. And he's like, oh, thank you very much. Really appreciate your concern. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Do you DM with him? No. Glenn, Glenn DMs with him. He'll send me screenshots of his DMs with Squatchbot. No way. Oh, yeah. He'll just sit there and talk to him. That's cool. I think Glenn needs a friend. I was about to say, he needs a fake friend just yeah. to go back and forth with. It's a learning model. So the more you interact with it, the more Squatchbot is going to sound like you. We're going to have a Glenn and Chris Powell. Yeah, there Squatch you go. We'll call it a Chris Oh, Bot. man. Chris I'll Bot. have him up to speed. I asked him if he could, if I could use my Yog Terrier to hunt carpenter bees, and he gave me a, a lecture on why I shouldn't be killing carpenter bees. Yep. I saw that. I yeah. was like, oh, boy. Come yeah. on, Squatchbot. <laughs> Answer the question. The question, the answer is yes, right? Like, yeah. I mean. So he's one of those. I got video of it happening. Yeah, it happened. California Redwood squatches then. He's got yeah. That, he's got he's from Oregon Left or coast. Yeah. 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 yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Well, what you been up to, man? Uh, just uh, cranking out podcast material and, and training a crazy yog terrier. Yeah. Yeah. To be steady to the fly swatter swat and then retrieve. Uh, <laughs> he won't retrieve the carpenter bees. <laughs> Uh, he's not there yet. He gets down there. He, it's a it's a major thing though. When he sees the fly swatter come out, he hears the 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 crack of the fly swatter hitting the carpenter bee and hitting the ground. Man, he's in the flower beds and he's looking, and he just shakes them, just oh. shakes the life out of them, <laughs> just tears them up. Yep. And then he eats them. So he's getting oh. his bee pollen supplement. Vitamin B. Oh, nice. That's strong. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> Vitamin B. Yeah. Have you tried using a bug assault yet? A what? A bug assault. No. It's like a, it's a little, oh. it looks like a water gun, but it shoots salt. Shoots salt. Yeah. I've seen those. And uh, we've taken out some carpenter bees and flies. I'm going to have fun. to get it. I'm going to, I will train tough to be steady to shot yep. with the bug assault. Steady Is that what it's called? Bug assault. Yeah. Bug assault. Yeah. 
Be cool. careful doing it at the house. My wife gets a little upset when I leave salt everywhere in the kitchen. You get flies in there, and I'm running around the kitchen. <laughs> so is it like is it like table salt, yeah, or is it like rock salt? No, just table salt. Table salt. Rock salt's yeah. like the blunderbuster version. <laughs> the slug version. The slug, yeah. It's buckshot. It's damage. It's you pump can knock action, out a bird right? with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pump action. One shot pump action. Yeah, That's buddy. Right. That's awesome. That's right. It's pretty sweet. Been on any trips recently? Got any coming up? Uh, no, no. no. I, I mean, I, I haven't been on any recently. I've got a ton that I need to go do. It's just trying to get out of here. It's it's crazy time of year. You guys, I'm not telling you guys anything. You guys have people show up for podcasts 24 hours in advance. <laughs> just all kinds of stuff. <laughs> well, for Chris Powell, we make it happen. That'd well, I'm dead. pretty I'm pretty important. Yeah. So do you do you hunt anything besides run dogs? Do you turkey hunt or do you yeah. fish or do mm-hmm. anything in the spring? Did you turkey hunt this season? I didn't. I did not turkey hunt. We did uh, before season came in. We had we had turkeys gobbling everywhere, and uh, not a bunch. But normally back back when the heyday of turkey hunting, it was nothing. I would stand out on the porch and hear twelve or fifteen gobblers, and I think our our turkey populations are down, hmm. and so. One's got to just be asking for it right now, you know, just being incredibly stupid, like strutting up and down behind the pond. And I, I shot a, I killed a turkey last year. Was it, was it just out in the open or did you actually have to go after it? No, I circled up around, set up on it. That's, that's probably called him out of a field up the hill. Yeah. Sitting right. I mean, I worked him back and forth. He would, he would. I knew where his strip strip zone was, so I got up above him, and I knew there was a good trail coming up there. But you know, calling a turkey out of the field sometimes isn't isn't always successful. And uh, I worked him for probably forty five minutes before he made the last fatal step. In my case, it's never successful, so that works. (laughs) Why not? I I don't know. They don't like how I talk or how Phil talks. Yeah, I've been hunting my butt off and just. Close but no cigar, one yeah. after the other, just running around, putting yeah. miles in, and we but, got one more chance coming up Saturday before a, before a wedding. So I'm gonna be going out to uh, a new new plot of public land that we haven't hunted this year. We hunted last year, and kind of see if we can seal the deal. I was trying to find a picture of a turkey that I shot um, years ago. We used to hunt with our flintlocks. And there's actually a pursuit of hunting that's 18th century style hunting. Mm-hmm. Have you are, are you still reading the Frontiersman? Heck yeah, I'm, I was I'm like halfway before. through it. Yeah, yeah, dude, okay. So, so you get the idea. Yeah, our goal was to, and there's a whole group of people that do this sort of stuff. It's called historical trekking. We always called it, you know, long hunting because we would actually pack in with all 18th century gear and hunt. Oh and, wow! Uh, nothing modern allowed. So wow. Yeah. So did you do like the buckskin clothes and everything? Mm-hmm. I've got I've got all the gear. Moxins? Yep. Oh man. Are you just setting yep. up in like a canvas A-frame tent? Yeah. I didn't, no. You know, if you're if you're packing in deep, we used to go down to like uh, Rock Castle River, mm-hmm. and if you hike up, if you camp at uh, is it or if you pull in at B Rock at the trail trailhead at B Rock, and you hike about six miles up the river. And you make a hard left-hand turn. There's a huge rock house down there, a big rock shelter, big overhanging rock shelter. We spent several nights in there. You never have to pack canvas with you. Just a bedroll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you you just pack what 
there's all kinds of historical documents and stuff on um, what the 18th century hunter carried. Yeah. You know, we carry way too much stuff <laughs> as modern-day hunters, but we like our comfort. Those guys were such badasses. And, and I'm telling you, they survived. Every day was a survival deal for them. When you've done it, like we were – we packed into Hoosier National one year during the winter, and from the time we stepped off until the time we came out, you're either fixing gear, you're drying out moxins, you're drying, you're you're sewing up a tear in a shirt, you're gathering firewood, you're cooking. I mean, it's nonstop <clears throat> every yeah. day, and then you lay there through the night and shiver and try to stay alive. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading about uh, Indian tribes, and they were like, tribes really had about a nine-mile sphere of influence where they knew the terrain nine miles around because nine miles was about the distance you could walk out and walk back in one day because d- spending a night out in the woods was a very risky endeavor, and you only did that rarely. So it was like all these tribes could be relatively close together because – if anyone was further out than nine miles, like you're only, you know, spending the night out past that once a month or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like a weird ancillary number of like nine mile spheres because you could hike out and hike back in one day if you're in Native American shape. Yeah. No, that's my sphere would that. be like two and a half miles. <laughs> two and a half miles. <laughs> mine's, mine's starting to get like 200 yards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything beyond that, don't worry about it. I was reading about. Um, the other day simon kitten simon butler whatever was elected to be the hunter for the fort that he was at which was like it was one that was kind of like under siege by like indian tribe like the shawnee or whatever boonsburg or harrodsburg it was, it was harrodsburg. harrodsburg so it's when he was in harrodsburg and yep. he so since he was the hunter he and there was indians around he couldn't just like go out in broad daylight go shoot a deer and drag it and you know do whatever so what he had to do in the winter was leave in the dead of night, go out to a spot, dig a hole, um, and then how did he fashion this fire? He would dig a white hole. White oak bark. White oak bark. That's right. smokeless. It's smokeless. Yep. And then pack it and put just two holes like going down into the fire pit, get over top of it with a blanket, cover it, like basically insulate the whole thing. And then he would just sit there like a blob and sleep crisscross applesauce with mm-hmm. the two holes from the fire coming up into the blanket. And like he'd wake up with like, three or four inches of snow around him and be like huh didn't know that happened and then just go hunt and he'd go shoot two deer right and he would uh he would skin them Mm -hmm. and pack out like he said like around 200 pounds of meat he'd skin them put it in the buckskin in the hide and tie it up like fashion it into a backpack throw on 200 pounds and trek back to the fort and feed all the the people in Harrodsburg, while they're we are a softer people. I like no doubt. <laughs> it's story after story like that, right. man. Like the Daniel Boone getting trapped or getting uh, captured by the Shawnee and uh, have escaping. you got to the part where Simon got captured yet? Yeah, uh, where he got captured. Nah, then he's not. He didn't. Dude, it's. I think so. They just like you wait. where I'm at in the book. They just got uh, the Shawnee just captured um, Boone, Boone and the twenty or the however many, 30-some guys that yep. were at the SALT yep. mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and Simon was off. He he told right. Boone. Boone was like, hey, you want to come hunting with me? And He's he like, was nah. like, no. Well, if he'd have said yes, he'd have been with there with Blue Jacket, right. who was his buddy earlier on in the story, which is mm-hmm. just like a crazy full circle thing. But 
Yeah, dude, I'm ate up with the story of these guys. It makes me feel so, so soft. So right. I'm halfway through this book, through The Frontiersman, and yeah. I'm already looking at what my next ones are. Like, am I going to read another one in the Eckert series, or am I going to go find some, some local Native American writing? Because um, that's what's interesting to me. Yeah. There were some wild, contentious battles mm-hmm. in the Shawnees in our area. Right like, here. You're yeah. talking about Louisville. Yeah. Like, yep. Here. 100%. Yeah, it's Tecumseh crazy. got in um, fights with, like, different settlers and stuff and, uh, like, took refuge in southern Indiana. Like, mm-hmm. he went across. Like, that's where, like, he crossed the Ohio. And, like, yep. It's just, it's so wild. Most of the time you hear stories, like, growing up, it was a lot of, like, the famous Western, exactly. yeah. like, yep. stories in the 18, you That's know, what 40s, drew me 50s, to 60s. it. I used to teach Hunter Ed, and I would always do the black powder muzzleloader part. Okay. You know, and and go in and do that, and I'd take my flintlocks and stuff. Yeah, and um, I would tell the kids, it's like, how many of you like movies about, you know, you know the the Western culture, Mountain Man, and everybody was like, oh yeah, we like that. And, you know, now you ask them, it's like, what is that? But, <laughs> you talking about Yellowstone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but you know. I used to tell them, it's like, man, you don't know how much history is right here in this area. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Clarksville, George Rogers yeah. Clark. Falls of the Ohio. Falls of the Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Pivotable. This Pivotal. was, this was the precursor to St. Louis and the Western expansion right here where yeah. we're at. Well, yeah. And you had like the, I mean, you heard this mention like growing up and stuff, but like the Western front of like the British and like the Revolutionary War and like the British coming in on the Western Front, equipping the Indians to come and attack like Boonesboro. Like that was the place. And then you have Lexington was named yep. Lexington because they got a false story out of Lexington, Massachusetts, that there was a great victory for the Americans. They actually got murked by the British, but yeah. they were like, we're going to name Lexington, Kentucky, where we're at after Lexington, Massachusetts, out of this great victory. And it's like, that's not what actually happened. I right. think. I think like 300 Americans got killed or something to mm-hmm. 20 British. Um, but yeah, it's just wild hearing about like diving into like our local story. We, were, was, we were just passing around a YouTube video I found of oh Cassius Clay, who was one of the first anti-slavery people in Kentucky and would just duel anyone who disagreed with him. And they said he was the like most accomplished duelist in North America. And he would Undefeated. give, he'd give a speeches. He'd be like, if anyone has a problem with what I said, it would pull out his guts. He's like, we can settle it right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Here, here was the, the, the full story of that. I loved because he was like, um, if you, uh, Here's have, the Bible. Yeah. If you have problems with, um, or if you, if you believe in the Bible, here's my argument against slavery. Um, for that, from so he God, literally yeah. from or yeah, from God. So he put the Bible down. If you believe in if the laws, believe, of, of, laws man, of man, here's the Constitution. Here's the Constitution. And if for some reason you don't believe in either <laughs> one of those, he pulled out his two dueling pistols and set them down right in front of everybody and, and said, "We can settle it." <laughs> and then someone tried to uh, assassinate him during the speech and shot him in the chest. It hit his Bowie knife, so he pulled out his Bowie knife, stabbed the guy in the chest. Cut off his nose, cut off his ear, gouged out an eye. The assassin's friends, you know, they're all pro-slavery people, so they were, you know, all there to see this anti-slavery guy get assassinated. Threw him over a seven-foot-high stone wall to get him away. The guy lived and then sued Cassius Clay for mayhem, and he said... 
Uh, well, I shot him in the chest, but once he stabbed me in the chest, we were even, and everything after that was mayhem. <laughs> the only Cassius Clay I know is the one that became Muhammad Ali. Right. He so was Cassius Marcellus Clay. Yeah. So, so this is who, that who was... he was named after. He, Muhammad Ali was a direct descendant of the slaves of Cassius Clay, and Cassius Clay, Mar- Marcellus Clay's dad was like one of the biggest slave owners in uh, America, and when his dad died and gave him all of his property, he freed all the slaves and gave him some money and land and stuff. So he died like 1900, I think. And at 92 years old? Yeah, at 92. And uh, Muhammad Ali's new. dad. It's a great story. Muhammad Ali's dad, when he died, was just like had a son a couple of years later. It's like, oh, I'm going to name him after this original guy. He was like a founding person of the um, the Revolutionary War. He was yeah. going to be Abraham Lincoln's vice president, but he was a little bit too wild because he was just killing all these people. <laughs> I'll have to send you the video. The guy that's in Russia. Yeah, so he, once Abraham Lincoln was elected, this guy was a little bit too crazy to be a rough around uh, the edges as a politician. in official politics. So they sent him to be the ambassador to Russia. So when the war broke out, uh, they sent Cassius Clay to be the ambassador to Russia. Yeah. Don't you need somebody that can kind of, you know, be a little bit tolerant and be an ambassador? I, I think don't know. he's it's one like of the. I think he's to hear the story. I think he's one of those guys that fit fit in very well with the Russian culture because they're you know you wouldn't want to send this guy to France, but like, <laughs> but like Russia. Yeah. So he convinced Russia to threaten France and Britain with when the war broke out. Uh, Russia told France and Britain, if you guys recognize the Confederacy at all, Russia will go to war with you. And they're like, that is really what, because, you know, Britain and France had interest in the mm-hmm. plantation economy. Right. Uh, so they kind of had an interest in having the Confederacy win. They didn't want the North and their industrialism to, you know, take hold because there were such good trading partners coming out of the South. So you could imagine what would have happened if the Confederacy had britain or france military support it would have been a totally different yeah. war and it's because of one dude one rough and tumble dude yeah that went to said, russia hey russians if you if you tell them if they so much as recognize the confederacy it's war yeah. and russia like, was like okay you got it, we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> don't do so, us <laughs> so he I, I think before that or after that he made a newspaper in lexington the called true american the true, true american, american. yeah and it was a anti-slavery newspaper, and he was just getting threats left and right. So he covered the front of it with an iron sheet, and then he made like a death tunnel inside. So when you open the door, it's just like a three-foot-wide hallway lined with iron sheets with one a way cannon. In, one way out. With a cannon. One way in and no way out. <laughs> yeah, with, that, yeah. with a cannon at the end of the hallway. Uh, and they burned it down. He got tuberculosis, and they burned it down, and then he recovered. But he had a mansion... I think it was called Whitehall. Whitehall. Yeah. The, yeah. I think that was the Clay family estate. Yeah, not the just Clay his. family estate. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I don't know if I never heard of this guy. That's what we said. Oh, that's Dan what sent I was it. Like, we were like, how is this not a Tarantino movie? I was yeah. like forcing like, everyone to watch it. I'm like, this guy's life story is so amazing. But he got old and got dementia, and he took the cannon and put it at the top of his stairs in his mansion. And like he would Scarface. Have, yeah. And just he would, Scarface. <laughs> and he would have run-ins with the sheriff over various things, and he was, you know, in his 80s. I think some people broke in when he was like 87. Yeah, yeah two, dudes. two dudes. And he killed one of them <laughs> he with killed, a knife. He shot one of them, and then oh, he killed, killed both. The other one with his bow yeah, knife. Yeah, he killed both of them. He's an 80-some-year-old man just 
Like, um, what are you doing breaking into Cassius Marcellus Clay's house? Yeah, yeah. but uh, apparently the sheriff came once and he shot the cannon at him. And the sheriff goes, I'm never going back there unless you give me, like, I'll have to send you Support a Support of the local militia. Yeah, yeah if yeah. anyone's yeah. looking for the video, the guy who made it is, is called the Fat Electrician. I don't know why he's doing documentaries, but the Fat he's Electrician, pr- Cassius great. Clay. It's like a 15-minute summary of this guy's life. It is so amazing. But it's one of those things where, like, that was akin to a Kamala Harris now. Like, that level of, of politicking not that long ago is a sort of guy that carries two guns on him at all times, <laughs> right. will fight any man to the death that disagrees with him, killed multiple people. He went to the – he uh, was in the Mexican-American War, Right. Yeah. yeah. Mexican-American War. And they said his brigade was captured pretty immediately. And um, uh, so they were prisoners of war. And two of his men escaped. And they were going to kill the people that were still in the prisoner of war camp. And he just volunteered himself and his other officers. Like, hey, we're in charge. Just kill us. Don't kill any of the other people. And then apparently they were so impressed that. They just let everyone live, and then he came back as, like, a war hero. It was an amazing. Wow. So not too different than old Daniel Boone when he got captured by the Shawnee with all his dudes, mm-hmm. and he said the same thing he to said, the chief. He said, let me run through the gauntlet. He successfully did, and then Blackfish was so impressed, he ended up, like, adopting, adopting him into this. And like, yep. Okay, so this brings, this brings a question to me. You know, how do guys, like, with, story, with stories like that, and even Simon Kenton mm-hmm. is largely unknown right. for his impact. I mean, never heard his name before you said the said that Daniel Boone looks like a sissy compared to the dudes in the Frontiersman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how does Daniel Boone get so much fame and notoriety? Because these other guys, but do you have a better publicist, or you know, what's the deal here? Yeah, yeah. I think better part documentation of it is. If you – this guy started very wealthy, Cassius Clay. And I think when you start from a position of wealth, and even today, you're like – you just dismiss everything else, you know. Um, I think Trump kind of saw that with – he, and you know, started out with, what, a million-dollar loan and, you know, built this huge empire. And I know personally if I started out with a million dollars in my life, I would – have blown it all by oh yeah but a lot of people look at thousand there yeah yeah a lot of people look at people that start out with money i think and are just like oh well they had an advantage from the beginning and daniel boone if i'm not mistaken did not no think, he did not you he, know alexander hamilton and some of these other people i yeah. think if you start from a position of poverty and then make something of yourself it's more impressive well, than I mean, Simon Kitten is the same way, though. Yeah. But, so the thing about most of these frontiersmen that, like, I've kind of learned from just, like, diving in and learning more about them is, like, they saw the West as, like, their chance to strike it rich mm-hmm. out of poverty, right? So, like, they're they're kind of on the fringes of society in the colonies and were like, man, this is this is my chance. This is my opportunity. And that's what everybody talked about, like, was unique about America was, like, it, literally anybody could <laughs> pack up go west, stake your claim, little hatchet improvement, and, yeah. like, now you are a wealthy dude. You just got to happen to survive, you know. Go put your your K on some trees <laughs> yeah. and that stake your tomahawk claim. Tomahawk improvement. Tomahawk, I call and it hatchet. It, yeah, yeah, and he, he just, he had thousands and thousands of acres that, because he was illiterate, he ended up losing it all in the end. Yeah. People stole it from him and yeah. got it settled out of court and things like that. But, you know, Kenton County, Kentucky, is mm-hmm. named after Simon Kenton. But his name's just lost 
Yeah. You know, nobody ever made the Walt Disney Simon Kenton show. I, I wonder know? if part of it is like he went by a fake name for, for a while. while. Simon Butler. Yeah, and, Simon Butler. Because uh, he thought he accidentally killed someone. <laughs> right. That the twist that of wild? that story is crazy. Gosh. Right. But Daniel Boone, like, I. Is he famous because he kind of like he kind of got in with the establishment like in his career a little bit more? He probably like did. Boonesboro I mean, was, was the first and like most prominent. Yeah, you know, Boone Boone was operating. You know, came in through Virginia, and he was backed by the politicians to to lead that expansion into Kentucky because he had to. He was given an option. He yeah. like had done some other expeditions yeah. over to Kentucky got robbed of all the like hides and pelts and everything that he had. Went back to Virginia to the investor and was like, sorry, I was gone for two years and came back with nothing. I'll repay you somehow. And the judge was like, hmm, we got a I got a job you. for you. <laughs> so he had all of the establishment behind him yeah. documenting and pushing his story yeah. too. And yeah. how many settlers probably uh, that came over through the Cumberland Gap with him documented in their memoirs, you know, Daniel Boone taking them in. But Simon Kenton was the guy – that I mean, he welcomed people here. He hunted for them. He gave them advice. He supported them. Yeah. He gave them land yeah, to he settle escorted on. them in, and yeah. then he gave yeah. them land. He was like the the guy on call. He was death on call. Yeah. for the the first settlers in this area. Oh, you think you got Indian trouble? I'm on my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. and away we go. Runs a hundred miles your direction. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, can you believe that? <laughs> like I. The shape that these dudes had to be in. Oh, I they mean, had to I be can't even yoked. imagine. Everybody back then, the Indians, the settlers, like all these dudes. And then you had like the stories of some of the women in the in the, in that time period as well. I mean, they were beasts. Like I it's it's pretty impressive time period of just like the, the fortitude you had to have to, to make it in that era. Like we've uh, we've come a long way from uh, have from we the, have we really <laughs> those women were harder than than i am absolutely yeah. almost any man i know yeah, yeah. daniel boone's um favorite daughter jemima the whole family leaves boonesboro while daniel boone's gone and she's like i'm gonna stay back and wait for my dad i know he's still alive and she was the first one to welcome back to yeah. boonesboro right before yeah. he got kicked out and all that like just i don't know like it's hard to imagine our era hanging out back then like i don't see how we would survive we'd be in pittsburgh or something like yeah. <laughs> detroit chilling yeah chilling in the city selling newspapers on the street corner so that's the kind of stuff you know we just took uh that we did when we do this historical hunting stuff yeah you know you didn't pack any food with you because you had to you either had to catch or kill what you that's cool you take some you take some dry jerky and some beans and stuff like that but everything it had to be i mean we'd have gear inspections of course you could take your if you were on medication or something, we weren't that, that much of a gear. No, you don't get your heart medication. <laughs> there was no penicillin in the 18th century. No first aid kits. <laughs> yeah. On day yeah. two, we lost Dave. <laughs> we all knew it was going to happen. Yeah. He just wanted to recover. Something about <laughs> insulin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that it was cool. We had a lot of fun doing it, and uh, it did make you realize how soft we have it, you know. Yeah. And we didn't even get to experience it. There was a night I about burned myself up. I my shelter caught on fire and if I hadn't had a one of my cur dogs with me, I would have been woken up by this flaming shelter, you know. But it the dog the dog got up. It was so cold 
that I had the dog under the blankets with me, mm-hmm. and I was sound asleep. And the dog starts wrestling around, and I look up, and the shelter's smoking and starting to catch fire and stuff. <laughs> so I jump out of the shelter, and I start throwing snow on the shelter and get the fire out. But if that dog hadn't, I don't know what would happen. I'm sure oh. I could have woke up. But, yeah. yeah. Your but chances would have been, been worse. Sin. For yeah. sure. This is a good dream. I'm real warm now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that dog, those dogs, though, they knew. It's like, hey, it's pretty, it's pretty nice underneath this blanket. And it was nice for you to have that dog under the blanket. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> did did the Frontiersman run around with the dogs at all? Was there yeah. any hounds? Yeah. yeah. What's the stories with, with that? Uh, mm-hmm. David Wright is a, a historical artist from down in western Tennessee. He has a lot of documentation of dogs on the frontier. Yeah. And um, um, he also includes those in a lot of his paintings. Yep. And I've talked to David at length why he does that. And he goes, man, they're all over They're all over their historical documents. They're, they're different than the hounds that we have now <clears throat> because they were more, definitely more utilitarian and uh, a deal where they knew their job and, and the frontiersmen depended on them to do their job. So you might have a dog with you that could – catch bear they might uh you know track wounded deer they might detect when there's danger around in the form of shawnees mm. you know so all of those types of things it was a much broader scope and utilitarian use of the dogs than what we do now and it was mostly hound dogs <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of the early hounds were not really developed to where they are today Mm. Uh, the plot came over in 17, the 1750s were when the first plots got here and they were big in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Johannes plot settled the, the range up there close to uh, plot balsam in that area in North Carolina and, and stuff, but they were just a mixture, you know, they were just, uh, gamey dogs that, that, uh, most dogs on the frontier, the plots, the plot family guarded this family name of dogs very closely and they bred true to it for the most part. I think there was probably, regardless of what all the, uh, hardliners say, you know, I'm, I'm sure that a, there was a plot or two that, that got tangled up with the neighbor's collie, <laughs> you yeah, know? Surely. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm not, I, I don't have any documentation for that, but the dogs were, the dogs were, uh, more of a cur dog style, George Washington had hounds, though, the running walkers. And- I remember thinking, speaking of frontier people, <laughs> Lewis and Clark, they had a Newfoundland that I think oh, really? made it all the way to the west and back. Yeah. No hmm. way. I would have thought that that dog would be eaten the right. first week. Like like a the, white one? I don't black. know if it was white or black. It might have been black. Yeah. Uh, but huge. I mean, Just massive. I that dog's huge. name. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised they didn't eat it when they were in... Uh, <laughs> Right. I, Loxall, I'm, along sure that, I'm sure there were multiple discussions, <laughs> yeah. multiple it heated conversations. Like, <laughs> like we were all hungry, and then there was like a 150-pound dog yeah. just like chilling. I think about that when I look at Tough. I'm like, man, look at him. If I, if I skinned him, he'd, he'd look just like a little squirrel on the, <laughs> on the spit. On the spit. Yeah. 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 Um, you got to think about stuff like that. You know, you never know what when the zombie apocalypse is going to happen. You're going to have to eat your dog. You got to evaluate them. Yeah, I read a book once. Uh, it was it was uh, called whole podcast down the tube. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. It was called One Second After, and it was like an EMP 
I think I don't know if it was a solar EMP or whatever, but there's this EMP and this, the book is like a family in North Carolina uh, outside of Asheville that goes a year without electricity and like, you know, rallying the community with no electricity or whatever. And the guy lets the dog starve for quite a bit until he kills the dog and the family eats the dog. And he's like, I kind of wish I did it yeah. when the dog had some meat on his bones. And I always, no it always like, it always stuck with me. I'm was like, this guy from the, what's, where was he at? He was uh, in, um, I'm trying to think of the town outside of Asheville. He's a professor. The author is a professor at the small college outside of Asheville. Uh, in between Boone and Asheville. But is it a fictional story? It's a fictional story. Okay. Yeah, fictional story. Yeah. Um, but it, one of the plot points Dillsboro, was... Silva? No, I want to say it was... Either we talked about this book or I have just read a review about we'll it, look it up. It's a very good book. And he had like a series and there was like one year after and I think a third book. But anyways, I always think about that plot point. Like if I knew my dog was going to starve at some point, I might as well get a good meal out of the dog and said like let the dog starve and then put the dog out <laughs> turn it into jerky while it's but, so that's like one of those things that's always been like oh i'm gonna ferret that little piece of knowledge away the, but then the you take out the dog and you're like three days later like power comes back on and you're like ah oh like uh, like <laughs> ah shoot like the mist that movie, i'm gonna miss mist. him yeah yeah mildred totally could have made it a few more days <laughs> you know the thing the thing about the dogs were more valuable probably to Lewis and Clark alive than they would have been to eat them. You know, they said, uh. you didn't, didn't just keep dogs around because you wanted a dog around. The dog had to have a function. So yeah. I'm sure it, I'm sure it helped in some ways, you know, yeah. like my hounds, if, if I was in a survival situation, they would help me survive. They're more valuable to me alive than they ever would be. It'd have to be dire straits. It's like, eh. you wonder what some of those Indian tribes, you know, out West that were the first to kind of, maybe their first experience with uh, white people and these people come up with this huge bear of a dog. Literally, like, probably thought it was like a bear. <laughs> yeah. What have you wrangled? Yeah. Exactly. It's wild. Exactly. Um, but yeah, and for them, like the that time period, game was so much more plentiful. Like it sounds like that they just had much more opportunities to take, you know, bear and deer and whatever else turkeys like simon kitten shooting turkeys on the wing all the time yeah, running yeah. with a flint lock like, with a flint lock it's like man those suckers must have been everywhere have well, you guys, getting out west, to, have you guys ever been to friendship to the national muzzleloading rifle association no. friendship indiana no spring shoots coming up in june dude you, we you, should do that because gobbler knob long rifle you ever seen that and go yeah, wild uh-huh. um he was just here rick um yeah he's all into that stuff and i think he said he goes to that one and then i met somebody in uh, pennsylvania when we were at the great american outdoor show that was one of him and his dad were one of the first and only barrel makers um made some for like last of the mohicans um was it john Patriot. so rick did the same thing he said what was his name and i was like man i can't i talked to uh, I thousands think- of people at the great american outdoor show i couldn't remember but he said he goes to that one in friendship um, so it, it might, might be, have been it might have been John Getz. He's missing a leg. I don't know if that helps you. But I'm uh, pretty sure that's John. Great guy. Like yeah. super nice guy. So right here in Kentucky, if you go south towards Bowling Green and then you go to a little town called Woodbury, there's a guy that lives there. What in the world? <laughs> You're all right, don't worry about it. Uh, there's a guy that lives there that's uh his name is Herschel House and he was featured in the Foxfire books. Uh, on he's like the father, the granddaddy of of 
modern flintlock rifle building. Okay. He's eight. Herschel's like 83 years old now, but he's uh, just an artisan. And then his brother, uh, John, is the one that was the firearms uh, quartermaster and firearms instructor for the movie The Patriot. Yeah. Mm, okay. Stuff like that. There so, you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you've been to this before? The It's five miles from my house. Oh, man. Yeah. We should go to that. Yeah. Come on it's up. It's only an hour and a half away. Yep. June what? I'll have to look we'll up look the it dates. Up. Yeah, we'll I have look a trip in dates. June, but if it's not that, you week, can day I'd trip like it, and we'll, yeah. we can run over yeah. there. An hour and a half. Yeah, dude, that'd Kentucky's be awesome. full of these great artists, you know. That and then they've also got another organization called the or the Contemporary Long Rifle Association (CLA). Uh huh. And their show is in Louisville here, and uh, it's in. It'll probably be in October, but Man. you've never seen beautiful pieces of work that are functional yeah. that you can actually take out and hunt. Dude, you know? I want one hanging on my wall more than almost anything. You now. need to hunt. Like, yeah. if I got a million dollars tomorrow, the first thing I bought would be, like, a period piece, like Kentucky Long Rifle. Like, mm-hmm. that would – we got to hold – I got to hold the first one I've ever held before. And, like, when you see them in pictures, you they don't look balanced. They look like they'd be – like, the barrel would just be, like, mm-hmm. pulling you to the ground. But you pick that thing up, and, I mean, it is just – steady and yep. nice like yeah have you I, been to the fraser arms museum downtown no so it's pretty cool it is the um the brown family who's the big bourbon family the guy was a huge gun collector and he has the largest collection of guns and armaments outside of the london armory like uh what's really? that? yeah huge and I haven't been to it recently. Culture's changed a little bit. They might have taken some of the permanent display pieces out of the public view, but I would go there and they would have every sort of Derringer, dueling pistols. I remember they had George Washington, one of his um, long guns, one of Teddy Roosevelt's, uh, and they have all of these specialty exhibits. I went once when they had a touring like samurai weaponry exhibit. That's cool. It's a, it's a museum of arms and and weaponry and they have all sorts of knives they it's really weird because they have these dioramas of you know like displays with like little mannequins and it'll be like oh here's like the inside of a ship getting struck with a cannonball and like everyone's freeze framed with like splinters in their face and blood <laughs> and they're like this is like this is a kind of <laughs> yeah. graphic museum but it's yeah. it's a really cool uh if you're just looking for something to do when you're in louisville the fraser arms museum down on main street fraser arms museum i'm gonna make a note of it do yeah. they have uh cassius marcellus clay's bowie knife or his dueling pistols or I don't know if they do. They did have some. You someone. think he wore those in a cross draw? Or? <laughs> he, they had to be. They had to be cross draw. He was a pretty cool guy. Most <laughs> of the cool guys did like <laughs> cross draw. <laughs> Who was the sheriff that killed Jesse James? Oh, Jesse James was killed by the Ford brothers. Bob Ford. Oh, maybe he wasn't a sheriff. Someone else. They have a. I remember they had a, a Western sheriff, and I know the name. I just can't place it. They had his badge and gun and stuff. White Earp. No, it wasn't wide herb. That'd be big time. Um, um, they have they have really cool and and like I said, the guy, the you know he's you know the wealthiest family in Louisville. Uh, he his personal collection is really huge. It's just what do they put out on mm-hmm. display for the public? Kind have of you ever changes. seen the museum at Cody, Wyoming? No, Buffalo Bill, uh, Buffalo Bill Museum. Yep, no. unbelievable. 
You're going to get me on that era now <laughs> going through all these guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, was, it was a different time. My dad's side of the family was um, kind of from the West. I've got a picture of my great-grandfather with a, a, a cart of buffalo chips. Buffalo chips or buffalo bones? Sit standing with us. I'll show you. You said it was buffalo chips, chips I, because we were talking about like you need you a just go pick up not poop. a gun. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, well, you I need think a pitchfork, not a gun. Yeah, because yeah. I think I think you could um, burn them burn as firewood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So right. That's, exactly that's right. how he would make yeah. his money. Is he yeah. just go around these fields and get them for free and then sell them? Hundred um, percent margin, baby. Yeah. All organic poop salesman in your well history I, and future. Doesn't maybe. that make sense though? <laughs> I think this was the most. And uh, let's put a little disclaimer on here. I bet eighty percent of the stuff we just said on this podcast was factually wrong. Oh yeah, I'm going to get ripped up yeah. whenever we. But share we're this. in the ballpark. <laughs> we're in the ballpark. I will say this is probably the most educational, historically educational <laughs> yeah. podcast we've ever done. Hang thanks, out with thanks, Chris. Chris. Just draws it out. It's all yeah. historical fiction. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all That's close our disclaimer. to the truth. Yeah. You know, somebody said that the frontiersman uh, was not historically accurate, but the first line in the preface of the book is, this is, what does it say? He said, this is 100% intended to be fact, researched from yeah. Um, yeah. firsthand accounts, journals, yeah. and logs from This book is not fiction. It's no. historical yeah. fact, yes. and it's backed up by documentation and all yeah. this stuff. Yeah, he so. cites the universities that he worked with, right. professors. It's the way he wrote it, where it's almost conversational, mm-hmm. that is the difference. In, yeah. You know, Me and Chris were talking people. about that. It's like, man, it's... It's entertaining. It's not dry at all. It's like very narrative driven. So like I could see how somebody would be like, "How did he know it was a foggy morning?" Yeah, or she when... turned her head away. Yeah, like, right, like right, okay, right. He t- you know, yeah. he, he took some liberties there, but you wouldn't read it if it was just like. Yeah. And then on this day, this yeah. happened, yeah. and that is the fact. And I then can't on figure this out day, <laughs> why no one has ever made a movie out of it? I mean, yeah. you could make one heck of a docu series. Yeah. You know, drama, docu-series type movie out of this thing. I watched one that's, like, a really famous one um, about, like, Boone and um, Lewis and Clark and Tecumseh and some of the others. And I was sitting there on the edge of my seat listening for Kenton or listening for Butler. Like Nothing. 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 He saved Daniel Boone's life, like, three times. I know. No. Nothing. Nothing. Not in any of the battles. Nothing. Nope. It's like he's been scrubbed. And he didn't run away either. I mean, he didn't... You'll, you, I, I'm not gonna run the book for you. You'll figure it out. <laughs> can you can you yet. do spoiler alerts on his histo- no, history? I'm not going. To. <laughs> <laughs> if it's already happened, is it still considered <laughs> spoiler alert? <laughs> spoiler alert! America wins the Revolutionary War, and here we are today. Well, you know what's interesting about it is I'm listening to the book at one and a half speed, and at the same time I'm thinking I've got to buy this thing so that I can thumb back through, because mm-hmm. there's parts I know I've missed or yeah. I like partially remember what they said and i was telling derek about this because he's getting ready to read it too it's like there's so much in there in this book yeah Yeah, i got it i think i'm gonna have to buy it or i've got the print i've read the print at least at least three times and i've listened to the book which is like 30 hours long yeah 
And I can't listen to it at one and a half speed because I, yeah, uh, you know, I I'm not that quick. <laughs> I, I kind of dial it down to. Jacob's half got speed. heck of a processor up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I go to half speed. <laughs> you go to half and speed. And then Simon Ken <laughs> took him four years to finish Butler. it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, man, you're the hound guy. Any uh, any hound information you can give us or, or throw out there? We've talked a lot about history. I feel like we'd be remiss if you didn't if you didn't impart some wisdom on us for the for the houndsmen that might be listening. Wow. Um, and we'll wrap yeah. it up after that. It's a long one. So yeah. Any like legislation going on? Any there's all uh, kinds of stuff facts? going on. We just any... dropped a podcast this past week with Brian Lynn. Uh, and I don't know when this will air, but it was. Uh, May 8th, we just did a spring spring ramp up on, on all the happenings around uh, the country with Sportsman's Alliance and Brian Lynn there. Um, the big thing is, is you know, th- with your audience is this right here, man. This is one of our campaigns we're running. This is Fair Chase. Yep. And uh, if, you, if you've never been hound hunting, if you've never hunted with hounds, you know, don't pass judgment on it. It's the oldest form of hunting there is, documented documented form of hunting. And, um, uh, you know, it's it's one that's often misunderstood. We'd love to have more people come over and listen to our podcast yep. and get the real scoop on it. Listen to what Brad and Derek, yeah. ask them if they thought it was easy. You yeah, Because right. that's a common misnomer among, yep. you know, people that have never done it. They and and my question is this and i always challenge my audience and people that listen you know if if you don't have factual information to back up your opinion what really separates us from the anti-hunters that make their decisions based on emotion yeah Yeah. you know and and um so be objective about things we've got to find place ways to bridge these gaps rather than building walls in our community yep go wild's been awesome about that for for us at not only houndsman xp but also our hound hunting community and and uh i'm telling you you guys were the first major brand national brand that signed on with us yeah as a and now you know we're onyx and we're having conversation we just signed with onyx and we've having other conversations as well with other major brands and and i think that's what it's going to take yeah that's important you know get buy-in from the brands that everybody absolutely you know i've I've heard you say it before like we're all hunters and Mm -hmm. like and just because like the the houndsmen are like probably say at the fringe of hunting right like they're the ones that are always getting targeted by legislation and everything like that but we all know how this stuff works, man. It starts with it's somebody, and it comes We're right down the We're the favorite the target in the hunting space yeah. is the houndsman. Um, yeah. It's an easy mark. Uh, it's high profile. It's hard to n- um, narrate your way through that that conversation if you haven't practiced it. And I think that what we're making people realize in the hunting community and that hunting space is since we are the favorite target, People are smart enough to know that that if if we just sit back and let houndsmen be the favorite target of the anti-hunting community, they're not stopping there. No, we're good. We're good front line for the rest of the hunting community, <laughs> you know. And and yeah. so all we're asking is help us. You yep. know, let's let's get together and help each other here. Yeah, because we're all in it for the same thing. Because the argument with with the houndsmen. Uh, uh, the people challenging hound hunting, it isn't the argument isn't saying that we're 
that we're concerned about the hounds is they're concerned about the bears or the mountain lions or whatever, right? So it's not necessarily that they don't like the fact that you're using hounds because of the hound safety. They're concerned about... They think it's an unfair advantage for the bear. Right. You so, know, so that's what this is fair chase is about because there isn't any other form of hunting where the, 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 the animal being pursued is fully aware from the very beginning. I don't care if it's a bear, if it's a coon, it's a mountain lion. As soon as, as, soon as those hounds are loose, then that animal is very aware that, that you're in pursuit. Yeah. And they've got all the tools at their disposal to try to – and they're, they're often more successful yeah. than, than your hounds are. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate your message on that, and it's been awesome, like, getting to work with you guys, getting to know y'all, and now having you on our show, and um, it's it's been great to see Go Wild embrace you guys, and uh, we want to continue to see that happen, and need to get uh, some more of our guys some experience out there with y'all, too. That's, yeah, uh, there you go. I know you've been... Uh, That's, that bear hunt sounds fun. I know. He's been trying to get me to come out there, and it seems like we just can't make it work. He's trying to get me to come stab some hogs the other day, and I was like, man... <laughs> I tried to pick you up at the office, man. I know, and I was at home. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, so appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you coming down, being on the show. Thanks and, for having me. Um, if you guys could, leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate that. If you got this far and you don't like it, I don't know what you're doing. Do something else. Um, log the show on Go Wild and tag us all. We got Dan Hood, Jacob Knight, Chris Powell, and Braden Ware, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. See you.